0: guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be episode 132. It's actually part three. Uh, This is the second part of the roosting strategies with Chris Rowe. And this series, we are talking about scouting turkeys, roosting turkeys, morning setups, midday setups, uh, late afternoon setups, decoys, Uh, and calling. And um, I think uh, I've already gotten great feedback uh, from some of you that have already listened to uh, the first couple of episodes of this turkey hunting western style series. And uh, with people saying how much value they've gotten from this so far. So I'm excited to get all of these episodes out to you. But before we get to that, I wanted to tell you about a couple things Uh, One is uh, the Colorado deadline for big game applications is due here April 5th, and the applications have to be postmarked uh, by April 5th, so make sure you don't forget that deadline. Uh, Nevada is coming up here in, I think it's the 18th, I'll have to double check on that of uh, April, and that kicks me into... Um, My next topic of GoHunt.com Insider has uh, uh, released their draw odds uh, for Nevada and they're the most scientific draw odds that uh, you can find out there and they also have released their application strategies uh, for Colorado sheep, moose, and goat, uh, for Colorado elk and antelope, for Colorado deer. And I just want to bring to light that if you have haven't uh, gone on and seen the filtering 2.0 and the draw odds uh, for the different states, uh, there's no other resource out there that as is as good as the go hunt draw odds. There's nothing more in depth and there's nothing more accurate and i uh, just want to point them out i want to thank gohunt.com insider for their title sponsorship of this podcast they've been with me virtually from the beginning and uh lorenzo sartini and his crew over there do such a great job uh also want to uh point out that on the gohunt uh .com insider website uh 80 people just won uh skull hooker Mounts, uh, they gave away 80 fifty gift cards for skull hookers. Uh, they have not announced the April uh, insider member uh, uh, giveaway yet. Uh, but every month they give away great uh, prizes to insider listeners, insider members and uh, such as Kuyu sleeping bags, they gave away 10 Kuyu sleeping bags, 10 Kuyu packs. They gave away Zeiss binoculars. They gave away some hunts. Uh, they gave away a doll sheep hunt. Uh, and just uh, some, they gave away a coos deer hunt in October. Um, and uh, they, GoHunt.com Insider constantly every month is rewarding its uh, Insider members with great gear and great hunt giveaways. So uh, I encourage you, if you're not a GoHunt.com Insider member to go uh, Go check them out. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and you automatically get a $50 KUYU gift card. So the membership itself for one year is $149 and they give you back a $50 KUYU gift card um, if you use the J. Scott promo code. I'd like to thank my other sponsors. Uh That must be one of the sponsors now, honking as they go by. I'd like to thank one of the uh, the other sponsors, uh, Wilderness Athlete, uh, Western Hunter Magazine and Elk Hunter Magazine's uh, Phone Scope, The Outdoorsman's, Utah Hydrographics. And I just really appreciate the support that those companies give this podcast as well as you guys, the listeners. And if you'd like to send me a comment or a question, you can do so on my email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along our adventures on our YouTube channel, J. Scott Outdoors. Uh, we've got a lot of great uh, how-to videos, a lot of great elk hunting, elk calling, uh, coos deer hunting, sheep hunting, field judging uh, uh, elk, field judging uh, all sorts of animals. Uh, a lot of hunts on there and uh, we're just getting into spring turkey season and going to have uh, all of our spring turkey hunts are going to be on the YouTube channel. You can also follow along on our Instagram page at jscottoutdoors. Uh, you can also follow along my associate Dar Colburn on Instagram at Dar Colburn. Of course, our website uh, jscotoutdoors.com our guiding website, Colburn and Scott Outfitters. And I want to start this episode by Craig Steele, who's a friend of the podcast with Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. Uh, on his personal Facebook page, uh, uh, Craig Steele posted a, an unbelievable motivation video about a guy named Inky Johnson, who uh, was a guy that uh, was about to be drafted Uh, into the NFL, and some things uh, went a little bit differently than he had planned, and uh, there's about a five-minute audio clip here that I want to play for you, and then Chris and I will get right into the second part of of the roosting strategies, and uh, guys, thanks for all your support.
1: is totally different, and it's not about the product for me as much as it is about the process. And what I mean about the process, the process saved my life. You see, my mother had me when she was 15 years old, right? Over on the east side of Atlanta, we came up in this neighborhood by the name of Kirkwood, drug dealer on every corner, gang members in the neighborhood, two-bedroom home, 14 people, used to sleep on the floor. Got the opportunity to sleep in the bed one time out of the week. It was six of us in the bed, three at the foot, three at the head. And I came up with this dream pretty quick. I said, man, I want to go to the NFL because I had eight uncles in that house, all eight of which are still going in and out of prison. And so pretty quick, I said, man, I want to go to the NFL. So I went to my big cousin tomorrow one night. I said, man, listen, I want to go to the NFL. So we got to work for this thing. So the thing we're going to do every night, we're going to be patient. We're going to engage in consistent action. Every night, we're going to race light pole to light pole. No shoes. So every night, we would get out in the street, race light pole to light pole. One night, a coach came down the street. He signed me and my cousins up for organized sports, right? First time being in organized sports. We get in organized sports. The thing was, after practice, everybody would leave to go home. And I always had to sit on the bench and wait on my mother because she worked that way. And so when my mother would show up in the park, it would be about 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. So I'm sitting there, and when my mother would pull up, she drove the old Buick Regal hubcaps off the car. Seats torn up. The car was all beat up. And she would pull up in the park 10.30 at night. I would jump off the bench. I would sprint over to my mother. I would say, Mom, if you don't mind, can you please sit back in your car and turn on your car lights? I have to do some extra drills. I have to go to the NFL. She would never have to work another day in your life. And I knew my mother was tired. And every night my mother would sit back in that car and those car lights would hit that field and he had a 7 year old kid doing backpelling and drills, running sprints, running laps, chasing his dream to go to the NFL. But just beyond those car lights, I could always connect with my mother's eyes and so it made me dig a little bit deeper. It made me push myself a little bit further. It made me work a little bit harder. It created a certain level of sweat, equity in what I was doing. It created a certain level of pride in what I was doing. You know why people quit? People don't have pride in what they do. You know why people stop? They're selfish and it's just about them. But when you have a bigger purpose to why you're doing what you're doing and you want to honor the sacrifices that others have made for you, it's nothing for you to keep going when you hit adversity. If every decision and choice you make is just about you, at a certain point you're going to hit something that's a lot tougher than you and it's going to make you quit because you don't have a driving force for why you do what you do. But when I got up to the University of Tennessee, it was simple. It was simple for me to give everything I had. My freshman year, I played special teams. My sophomore season, I broke the star lineup. Had a really strong sophomore season. The summer heading into my junior year, I still remember the day where I was sitting in our film room, and I was watching film on the California Bears. My defensive backs coach, Larry Slade, came in the room. He said, Inky, I got some good news for you. I dropped the click. I said, what is it? He said, man, you're projected top 30 draft picks, son. Huh? He said, all you have to do is play the next 10 football games. You're an automatic multimillionaire. I went out of the room. I called my mother and my grandmother on the three-way. I said, after this season, there will be no more struggling. I said, we would never miss another meal. I said, we would never experience another Christmas where we have to stand on the side of the curve and just be grateful. And I hung it up. First football game, I went out played great. Got an interception, shut Cal down. Second game, we're playing against Air Force. Got late in the game, fourth quarter. Guy dropped back. He threw the ball to a receiver coming down my sideline. Me and the guy, we went head on. Soon as I hit the guy, I felt as if every breath of my body left. My body went completely limp, fell to the ground, and I blacked out, it never happened to me. before. When my eyes opened, I'll never forget, my teammates ran over, they said, "Ain't, get up, let's go. I said, I can't I said, I can't move. I said, what do you mean you can't move? You're on a lockdown corner, man, we need you, let's go. I said, I know, man, but this time I can't move. I flipped my head up to the sky, said, God. I said, surely nothing is happening in this moment that can alter my life. They got me over to the hospital. They took me back. They ran CAT scans. They brought me back into my room. And all in a 15 second time frame, the doctor came running in from the opposite side. He said, hey, get in here. We got to rush this guy back to emergency surgery. He's about to die. I said, what? He said, son, you have busted up the clavian artery in your chest. You're bleeding internally. We have to rush you back. Take the main vein out of your left leg. Plug it into your chest in order to save your life. When I opened my eyes from recovery, the same doctor was over me, he said, son, has some good news and some bad news for you. I said, you got some bad news for me? I have to tell him I was about to die, I'm still alive. How bad can it get? I'm still here. He said, the good news is we saved your life. I said, thank you, sir. He said, the bad news is, Inc., you have nerve damage in your right shoulder. I said, okay, cool. He said, but son, it's a strong possibility that you probably can never play the game of football again in your life. I said, no way. I said, no disrespect to you, Doc, but I've been working for this ever since I was seven years old. I said, no disrespect to you, Doc, but you wasn't in the park with me and my mother when I was seven years old and she was sending that Burek got She got done working at Wendy's. No disrespect to you, Doc, but you didn't come up in that two-bedroom home, 14 people sleeping on the floor. No disrespect to you, Doc, but you didn't miss those meals and stay focused and never made an excuse. I never cheated. I never cheated. Like my conscience, still until this day, won't let me, like I can't cheat. I can't look myself in the mirror and say, Inc, you did a good job knowing that I cheated. I can't cheat. One of the greatest pieces of advice that my mother gave me was this. Son, whenever you start, you make sure you finish it. And the problem with the world today, people get involved with things, and if they don't like a certain person, if they don't like the process, if it's not what they thought it was, they quit. And what they don't understand about quitting, quitting becomes a habit that doesn't just affect you. Later on in life when you get a wife and you get some kids or you get a family, it's going to come back to hunt you and it will one day affect them. That is why I tell you the process is more important than the product. It's not even about the outcome for me. It's about can you take pride in what you do as an individual and every night when you look in the mirror knowing that you gave everything you had to it. And we have to get to the point where we're willing to impose our will on certain things. Impose your will on it. My life totally changed. And they gave me an opportunity to stop. And most people, when you give them an opportunity to stop while they're chasing something, they take advantage of it because they feel as if, man, why did this have to happen to me? I felt as if, why not me? This is the perfect opportunity to use this to be a blessing to somebody else. And you know what? It's not even about me to be truthful. It's not even about me. Now it's about repairing the people that invested in me and saw something in me when I couldn't see it in myself. At a certain point in life, it can't just be about you. And the moment that we understand that and every day we wake up, we understand that life is a blessing and life is a gift. And if you were to check out today, how would you want to be remembered? It's bigger than you.
0: utah hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up choose from a wide range of camo patterns designs and colors whether it's guns bows tools rifle stocks vehicles steering wheels fenders dashboards paint guns fishing rods cups tripods watches knife grips Helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at UtahHydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product.
2: I will separate myself from Absolutely. whoever's walking with me by a minimum of 50, 60, 70 yards. We'll, we'll, we'll still walk, but that way I'm not hearing my buddy's footsteps cr- you know, clouding up the things that I'm hearing. Because maybe when my foot hits the ground and I scuff a bunch of rocks, a gobbler way off in the distance sounds off and that crunch of the rocks or me stepping on a twig or whatever kind of drowned that gobble that was off in a distance and completely drowned it out. Whereas my buddy who's back behind me on maybe at that moment, at that particular moment, might be on softer grass or his foot was in the air and he was quiet, he picked it up. So... If you separate yourselves out, you can hear a lot more effectively.
0: And I'll add to that a lot like um, archery elk hunting or such, when the person that's walking behind it's not a matter of oh i'm walking in front and i'm the lead dog and i'm better it's we're working as a team you're listening i'm listening when i stop you stop if if it's if, if you're leading chris and you stop i have to be keen yes. and aware of what you're doing cuz you may see turkeys at 75 yards that i don't see yes. don't just come walking up yes. to your buddy hey what's going on yes yes <laughs> you know when the person that's leading stops the person in back stops the person that's leading looks or whatever they're doing they may give the signal i heard one yep. get down yep. they may give the signal i see them you know point to your eye get down they may say just hold up the hand and say just let's let's just listen here for a second you know give the you know point to your ear the person in back needs to be on all, full alert then the person that's leading says okay everything's good give the okay let's keep moving it's important to work as a team, and it's important to be, you know, I, I maybe take it way too serious, but I try and be as efficient and as effective as I can. And, and by being very observant and being very stealthy and very predator-like, that, that enables me to kill more birds.
2: Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I tell people this all the time, and it's the same thing with elk. I can go hike in the woods 365 days a year. I have a turkey tag in my pocket. For a limited time. My, I want to have fun. I want to go out with friends. I want to have a blast in the in the woods turkey hunting. But I'm there for a reason. I want to fill my tag. I want to hunt. This is this. I take. I do. I take it seriously. I can have fun doing it. But I take it serious. So yeah. there was. That was the other thing you touched on. The, the walking. Um, you talked about. You know. Listening for other people out there. Crow calling or, or whatever calling. And I, I want to touch on that real quick. If we are talking about scouting for tomorrow's hunt, okay, and so far we, most of what are what we've been talking about is kind of in the evening, listening, roosting, and kind of maybe hinting at the fact that we're going to hunt the next morning or we're going to go after them the next morning, okay. If that's the case, if I'm going to go after them the next morning, yes, I don't. In that case, I don't mind picking up the box call and throwing out some yelps or cuts or whatever and try to get a response. And I do the exact same thing you do. Uh, If I get a response, I shut up because at that point I want the turkey to think that I might be moving his way because I don't want the turkey come smoking up the ridgeline and see me or run into me and I spook him and then great. Now where the heck is he going to be? Okay. I don't want to spook birds. I just want them to sound off. So if I'm hunting the next day, Yes, I don't mind using a turkey call. However, if we're talking about preseason scouting a week or 10 days before season and you're just game planning it, man, this may be where I kind of I, I, – maybe I'm not popular with it, but I just do not recommend people using a, a, a turkey call because – you're just educating, especially on public ground, most of the birds are going to be pressured anyway. You're just giving, you're just starting the whole process of educating those birds early. And I know that some people get excited, you know, they get up there, yelp, 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 a bird gobbles. And they're like, yes, I'm going to yelp some more and he gobbles some more and they yelp some more and he gobbles some more. And they're like, this is awesome because, you know, we've been itching to get out in the field. Well, keep in mind, the more you get that bird fired up, the more likely it is he's going to come over and look for you. Maybe not that evening, but very likely the next morning. Well, if you do that, and he gets fired up, and the next morning he comes looking for you, and he finds nobody, and then the next night somebody else goes up there and does the same thing, and he gets fired up, and the next morning he goes running over there to look for him, and he finds nobody as far as hen's. It doesn't take, especially a, an older gobbler. It doesn't take them very long to figure out. I'm not going to go chase after hen sounds. I'm just going to gobble and make them come to me because this is a waste of time. So I really stress for folk, folks if you're doing extended preseason scouting, you know, use your crow call, use your coyote howler if you need, or a, a owl hoot. Um, but man, I just really refrain from using turkey sounds. And with that being said, too, is you might find some of you eastern hunters that are coming west or some of you western hunters, you very well may find in some places an owl hooter works great, but a coyote call or a crow call are are pretty much worthless. Or maybe a crow call is what they want to respond to, but a coyote or an owl is worthless. They don't respond. Have a variety of locator calls with you because you might find that they respond to one and not the other. Um, and then the only other thing, Jay, that I was going to touch on something you mentioned. Um, depending on where, you, because you, you talk about getting to yourself to a vantage point or getting up on those ridges where you can hear, absolutely get to the spot where it gives you the most commanding uh, position of where to to listen from or watch from. With the caveat, out of the wind. If yeah. it's windy, you're 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 done. Now anything up. Wind of you. So, if the wind is going, say, from the west to east, if you're standing on a knob, you very well might hear any bird that's west of you because the wind is carrying that volume. But you might have a bird east of you, a half mile, in a good vantage point, that just the, the sound of the wind or whatever is just stomping you out. Sound waves don't necessarily die. I mean, they will die a little bit, but sound waves, sound waves will carry regardless of whether you're in the wind or out of the wind. So if it's windy or breezy, get yourself on the sheltered side of a ridge. So that way, if a bird does gobble, you can pick it out over the wind noise and the wind isn't just pounding you in the head. All right, now I'm done.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Great stuff there. Um, Okay, let's cover what to do when you're listening at prime time in a roosting location and a bird gobbles. And I'm going to read through this and then we can talk about it. Try to spot the bird with your binoculars and identify his exact position. And I'm also trying to identify is he, you know, how long is his beard? Does he look like a mature bird? You know, how many birds are with him? Uh, if you have to move be very cautious not to spook the birds the worst thing you can do when you're trying to roost birds is spook them i would rather not know exactly where they're at and not and not spook them or let them know i'm in the country than to know exactly where they're at and have them know that i'm there yep absolutely identify if he's alone or with other birds by looking with your eyes and listening with your ears And guys, I'm going to tell you, fight the urge to call to the birds. There is no reason to call to these birds unless you're trying to kill them. I always say don't call to them unless you're, you know, season's open and you're trying to kill a bird. And even that, if the season's going and this is mid-season and I'm still trying to roost a bird, unless he's going to be coming where I think he is, I'm not going to be calling to this bird until I'm ready to kill him. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. now, and,
2: and uh, real quick with that, again, if I'm, now, I might call to a bird the evening before, if I'm close, if all, if like we talked about before, if I know that a bird gobbles and he gobbles like once, right before dark or whatever, and I think I, he might have hens, you he might not have or whatever, If if I think there's a strategic advantage of letting the bird know that, hey, there might be a hen roosted, Absolutely. I I might use my calls and make it sound like, and I'll use a a real wing, you know, actual turkey wing, and I'll fly up. I'll make it sound like a bird flew up because if that's, you know, maybe the the best access point from where I can park to where I can get set up on that bird, that is the closest I can ever get, but I'm going to need that bird to come to me. Well, then sometimes it may make the benefit of, of letting that bird think I flew up there. But Jay's right. If, if you're not in a strategic location, if you're not using it for a specific tactical purpose, don't. Because you're just going to compound. You, you, you can cause more harm than good.
0: Absolutely. Uh, many times you'll hear one bird or multiple birds fly up. Do not move around a lot or make noise because they will pick you out. Public land birds that are spooked the night before do, do remember... And will be on alert the next morning. I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh, they they don't remember the night before." Bull, heck, yeah. They don't. No, I agree with you. Yep. Do not call the birds if they've already been if they've already given their location by gobbling or flying up. Simply just sit, observe, and take inventory of the surroundings. Now, like Chris says, there is situation where if you you know a lot of times if I think there's a lone gobbler, yeah. And right before dark, I give them a little bit of you like, heard. there's a hen over here. The next morning, he's going to be going ballistic, and he remembers that, oh, there's a hen over there. Yep. Um, and, and one more reason why I don't call a lot to him if they've already given their location is I don't want to alert any other. I don't want the bird. If I hear him one time and I've got him pinned, I would just assume he never gobble again. So don't sit there and owl hoot at him. Don't sit there and do anything. to. I hear it all the time on public ground. It just drives me crazy. Guys will get a bird roosted. It's obvious they got him roosted, and they'll just sit there and pester him while it's in the tree. Well, every time you call to that bird, whatever call you're using, your chances the next morning keep dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. Your percentage, every time you call to him, whether it be a coyote, an owl, or whatever, a crow, they're going to figure out, that ain't right. I'm, I'm shock gobbling to it, but I know in the morning that I'm going to... F- Keep my mouth quiet, and I'm going to fly and get the heck away from here. Do not call to those birds when they're up in the tree. Well, and, and you touched on it real briefly there. The other thing, too, is if you
2: get that bird cranking, if there's other hunters scouting that valley or that ridge line or whatever that evening, guess where they're going to be next morning?
0: Right, exactly.
2: I'd rather them gobble once, no one else picked up on it, and I can just slip in the next morning and have him pitch out, land on my decoys,
0: and I can shoot him. Yeah, exactly. Now here's a here's a huge deal in my opinion. Plan your quiet exit and quiet re-entry point for the morning. Yeah. So as I'm roosting a bird, I'm also looking at where is the bird going to fly down? Where do I need to be set up? How do I get in here in the morning in the pitch black dark and be in the exact right spot? Um I'm going to go through some more of this and then we'll come back to these because there's a lot to talk about. Plan your setup for the morning. Look for the exact place that you want to be sitting for the next morning. Um, Many times we'll stay till pitch black dark and then advance forward to mark exact spot on GPS where to set up. Be careful not to use any light or make any human sounds because they will be on alert and you will have blown your chance for the morning. Count your steps to a marked location so that you know the exact distance to your setup tree. Uh, Use the two-man locator system, uh, and we can talk about that in a minute. On the way back to the truck, listen for other birds that might be gobbling from the roost. Mark their locations as well. And known roosting areas can be a great place to sit in the afternoons and just wait for them to come. Call lightly and have decoys spread out. Now, that's if the season's already rolling. One thing I want to go back to is this plan your um, let's actually take a quick break here, Chris. Sure. Tired of relying on out-of-date numbers, spending too much on hunting consultants and seeing too little results, with Go Hunt Insider, the old way of doing things is over. With the introduction of draw odds and filtering 2.0, you'll have access to the most accurate, up-to-date information in the industry. You can filter by state, species, trophy potential, weapon, specific days or months of the year, harvest success rate, male to female ratios, and much more. All of this leads to easily finding the best hunt for you. So what are you waiting for? Visit GoHunt.com slash insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. I wanna go back to uh, planning your entrance and your exit. So that night you've got a bird or birds roosted. You've tried to figure it out where you're gonna set up. You've got the place where you're gonna set up. And so then the question is, Do I let it get pitch black dark, slip into that area, and set up decoys? That's number one. Number two is how can I get from where I'm sitting right now out of here without those birds detecting that I'm a human? And number three is how do I get from my vehicle, or if I'm camped or whatever, how do I get from there to not only where I'm sitting right now, but where I need to be sitting where the birds are in the morning without them hearing me. Well, I will tell you that if you go early, 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 pitch black, dark, your best chance is when they're totally asleep. If you are waiting to enter into the woods when it is gray light, you are too late. Way too late, yes. You cannot get right up by those birds if it's gray light. They will see you. The hens are awake, just like when you're actually under, a, you know, 50 to 100 yards from a roost tree you know that sometimes at four thirty in the morning they're gobbling yes and the hens have already been calling for 15 minutes yeah so if it's gray light you're too late Turkey, and, so, and well, that's the thing you're you're dead on jay
2: people always think oh well turkeys have such great great eyesight they can see color and bubble blah, blah, blah. but they you know all that they they for some reason people think Well, but they don't see well at night because they don't see like deer and elk and everything. Well, true. They don't have night vision like deer and elk do. But they see just as well as we do in low light. So if you can see, they can see. Now, here's the other flip side of that. Keep in mind, they're up in a tree, 20 feet, 30, 40, whatever, however, they're up in a tree. They've got a more commanding view. If we're talking about us walking around on the ground, if there's snow cover, you stand out like
0: a sore thumb. From there, and you're crunching, crunching the way or in. whatever,
2: you stand out like a sore thumb. Likewise, if it's you know a lot of you know if you're talking to under ponderosa pine in these western mountains, a lot of the grasses, if it's not super super green, it's going to be a light tan to a light brown, and the, the pine needles are going to be a light tan to a light brown, which means you, again, are going to be standing out against a, a your dark body, because of the shadow, is going to be standing out against a light colored background. Those birds are going to, they don't, even, they don't even have to know that you're a human. All they know is, there is something shady going around, going on, down, around, underneath where I was going to pitch out, So even though he might gobble, the hens might yelp, they go on and do everything they normally do up on that roost. They're going to pitch out and go 180 degrees the other direction because there was danger over there underneath that roost. And I'm not, I I, I don't trust it. I'm going to go the other direction.
0: Right, and I think that goes back to people need to know the difference between you know gobbling and everything's fine to shock gobbling, and they're just gobbling. They're spooked as all get out, and they're still gobbling. Like it's not really a roosting situation, but I've I've hunted with a lot of people, and and you know birds will be going away from you, and they'll be going. They're still gobbling. Let's keep going. I'm like. We need to go find a new bird. That bird is gobbling because they're spooked and excited and they're, you know, trotting and running and trying. You know, they're gobbling just because they gobble. Well, they're gobbling because
2: I'm leaving. I want the hens that are around and anybody else to know I'm going this way. Again, a gobble is attractive, saying I'm over here. I want, you know, if you want to be with me, this is where I am. So he's going to be running away and he'll probably still be gobbling because he's letting the hens that he believes are around, especially if he heard you calling. He thinks there might be other turkeys around. He thinks there might be hens around. He still wants those hens, but I'm getting the heck out of Dodge, and this is the direction I'm going.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I I want to talk about your reentry point in the morning. So yes. if I have a bird roosted, I am either going dis- to determine if I can get to a good place where I think would be good in the morning and I can set out my decoys. I'm a, I use decoys. I love decoys. If I can get there and set my decoys up, I will a lot of times in the evening. Now, you have to literally sit there until it's pitch black dark, and it's a gamble. You're better off probably not doing it, but if you do like to use decoys, it has to be pitch black dark, which means you have to get from where you're at to where you think you need to be in the dark with no light, and not only that, when you get there... You have to be able to set your decoys up quietly, not clanking stakes. Mm -hmm. And if you make human noises, like we said, your percentage of kill goes way down. Okay. So, and then I'm, a lot of times too, what I'll do is maybe I won't set the decoys up because maybe I won't even have the decoys with me. But I'm going to say, okay, if I can get another hundred yards, I need to be set up in that little meadow right there. That's where I'm planning. I'll let it get pitch black dark. I'll slide over there very quietly and I'll have inside my jacket covered up where there's no way they can see my light, I'll mark it or I'll mark the spot that I'm sitting in and know that I have to go another hundred steps. So I'll try and figure out how many steps is it from where I'm at to where that meadow is. So the next morning I can walk into the place where I was using a GPS inside my jacket so they can't see the light and okay I'm at my spot turn the GPS off put it in my pack or you know in my vest trying to let my eyes you know adjust the whole time and then I'm going to walk from there I'm going to count my steps 80 steps 100 steps whatever I had determined or go to the big Ponderosa and then go 50 steps from that and that should put me in a good spot I will tell you Most of the time in the morning when I go on a a bird that I have roosted, I chicken out and I don't get close enough to the bird because I don't want to spook them. So one of my biggest faults is I know in the morning when I'm walking and creeping in, I know I need to go further, but I'm a scaredy cat and I don't end up going far enough and I set up in a bad spot. And I would encourage you, if under darkness, black, pitch black, you could literally walk underneath their tree. But I am a scaredy chicken, and I don't want to do it, even though I know I can. And this year, I'm going to encourage myself to go ahead and go that extra 50 yards that I know I need to clear. But when you're walking in the morning and it's crunching on pine needles, and it's going crunch, 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 they're dead asleep, but you just know they're going to wake up. But I'm, you know, it could be three o'clock in the morning. They're not waking up for another hour and a half. Make yourself go to where you told yourself you have to go. That's a huge fault that I have is I don't go far enough. Backing up that evening, I'm going to mark my spot. I'm going to go back to my truck. The whole time I'm going back to my truck or my quad or whatever, I am listening for other hunters. I am, you know, listening for other sounds and I get back to my truck. Let's say that there's another vehicle parked next to mine. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna wait till that person comes out, comes up to his truck. I'm gonna introduce myself, I'm gonna be polite, and I'm gonna say, how's it going? What are your plans in the morning? Well, I heard a bird roosted down this ridge. I'm gonna try and determine, are they going after the same bird that I'm going after? If they do, I'll either say, you know, that's the bird I was going to go after, go for it. If I feel like I have enough rapport with the hunter, I'll say, you know, that's the bird I was going to go after. What do you think we ought to do? What do you think about just doing a coin flip? Where you say, you know, or if you have other areas and you just want to let him go, just say, buddy, you take that bird, you know, good luck, hope you get him. Sometimes you can say, hey, you know, it sounds like we're after the same bird. What do you want to do? Maybe we ought to flip a coin, you know? You you can call it or you can flip it or whatever. And, you know, whoever wins the coin toss goes in there. Maybe that's a fair way to do it. Or maybe I get to my truck and there's no one there. And I then maybe will sit there for a while and see if anybody else comes around and stops. Or maybe I'll drive up the road one way or another and try and determine, is there anybody else in the country at all? Okay, so I drove a mile this way. I drove a mile back this way. Nobody's around. Okay, I should have birds there in the morning. I come back in the morning. Guys, don't park on your birds. It's a fine line between parking close enough where, you know, another person's going to come after you in the morning. They're going to see your vehicle. They're going to go on down the road. And then if you park too far away from your birds, they may think, oh, well, I'm going to go three-quarters of a mile down the road and park. They may be right where you're at. So that, that's a little bit of a fine line. And we could talk for hours on that subject alone. I'm just trying to cover as much as what I'm thinking when I'm roosting these birds. And then in the morning when I go in, I always want to be the first person there. I go way, way, way early. I go, I'm usually sitting on my roost tree and listening for an hour to other hunters driving all over the unit, coming and going and, you know, driving. And I'm thinking, how in the world are they driving right now? I'm hearing hens yelp, and these guys are still driving. So be early, okay? The next morning, I'm retracing my steps. I'm getting to that spot where I've marked, and then I'm, you can't use a light. You can use a light to a certain point, but when you feel like you're getting, you know, pretty close to your birds, say I'm gonna say two or 300, 400 yards, you you cannot use a light. Now you could walk right up under a turkey if they're asleep and it's dark enough. You could walk with a light the whole way up and shine it on them. But can you walk with the light, them see the light, and then you try and call the birds? I'm gonna say most of the time, no. Yeah, Chris. Take it over. All right, man.
2: No, you, you nailed one, and, I, and I'm going to jump right on on the first one about parking. because um, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. <clears throat> when you when you're dealing with public land and you're dealing with access, you've got to really play that strategy on where to park. Because I agree with everything that Jay just said. Sometimes I have I have dealt with this myself. You're going to enter. You're going to encounter two different. Philosophies, two different t- styles of hunters. There are some hunters that take it seriously, like Jay and I, and probably most of you listening right now, that are going to go out there and you're going to do the work. You're going to do the work, and you're going to be smart about it. And you're going to hunt smarter rather than harder, and you're and you're going to you're, you're going to put the effort in to make this happen the way it needs to happen. However, you're going to encounter people that literally turkey hunt. By driving down the road and finding out where everybody else is turkey hunting. They'll let you do the work. And then the next morning, oh, there's a truck parked there. There must be birds here. I'm going to pull in right behind him. And I'm going to go walk down this ridge. And I'm going to see where these birds are. And then I'm just going to beat him to it. Literally, you will have people to do that. So, yeah, if you park next to your bird, you very well may end up having somebody park right next to you because they saw your vehicle parked there. Whereas... If you park three quarters of a mile or half a mile away, and you encounter a diligent hunter that does the work themselves, they're like, "Oh well, that person's hunting there. I don't want to stop on them. I'm going to go a half mile, three quarters of a mile down the road, and I'll try here." Well, inadvertently, he might be he or she might be right on top of you. So you have to play, you, judge how and where you park based on the other pressure in and around your area. Okay. So, for instance, if I know there's multiple birds around in an area and there's only a handful of people hunting, I very well may just pull off away from the bird I want to go at and just go off and, you know, just kind of, I can park, you know, say, I'm sorry, phone was ringing. I can park, say, a quarter mile away and walk down a different ridge. I, I, earlier, we had talked about uh, using your hand as that you know, as the kind of ridge, and and some of our roads will cut across the mountainside to where I might be able to park on one little finger ridge, but I might actually hunt a bird that's two finger ridges over, all right? And I'll just use my vehicle as a decoy off to the side. That's probably most of the time what I do. However, if I know that there's very few birds in this area, but I know that there's a lot of other hunters that are hunting the area, it's quite likely that they found the same birds that I did. That's where, I'm sorry, I agree, Jay, I'm going to try to be the first person there. I'm going to try to be the first person there, and I'm going to park my vehicle uh, literally on the finger ridge or as close, wherever the most common place to park to go after that particular bird. I'm going to try to beat them. I'm going to try to be the first there, first one there. I'm just going to park it and basically try to claim my spot. Okay. You're going to have to judge where you park and how you access uh, based on the pressure in your area. Now, here's one thing that I will say that I do different, and and something to consider if you know that you are going to be competing with other hunters, and especially if you know that you're going to be you know combat hunting. And it's what I call you know where people just try to shadow you and just try to you know they're setting up 50 yards from you and trying to you know call the birds. If the road access is close by. Say, for instance, this little finger ridge. The the birds are roosted on the end of this particular finger ridge, but then like a quarter of a mile away up that ridge is a road access. 90% of the hunters are just going to walk down that little finger ridge, and they're going to come from the road direction, and they're probably going to be set up between where the bird is roosted and where that vehicle is parked. Now, You might be dealing with a two-year-old bird that doesn't know any better. But if you're talking about these public land birds, you can have hens that might be four, five, six years old, maybe. They're educated. They know what's going on. So if I know I'm in a situation where I have to be strategic in how I access my birds, what I will do, I will do everything that Jay just talked about is with GPS and everything else. But I will find a spot to set up that is literally 180 degrees opposite of the road access. So literally, I will walk around the birds. So it's basically the, the parking lot, road access, birds, then me. Because if I, I, I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times this has worked for me as far as getting A, birds to respond, and then me B, B, killing them. I've seen numerous times where people try to locate birds, between where they are and where the road is. So that means the person was standing halfway or whatever between the road and where the birds were, and they never set a peep. Whereas all of a sudden I am on the other side of those, away from the road access, and man, they will respond to everything I give them. Why? They've just been educated that anything coming from that particular direction is likely danger and a hunter, whereas quote-unquote no one calls to me from over here except a, a real hen. So I will go all the way around them, get set up on the back side of them. So that way, even if someone parks, so maybe I'll park two ridges over. I will go down the ridge in the the pitch black in the morning, hike over across. I'll use that GPS. I'll, I'll go down one ridge, cross two others, and I will get set up on the opposite side of those birds. So that way, if another hunter, whether purposefully or accidentally, Sets up on the same birds I am, they're more likely to go to me because they haven't been conditioned to danger towards the road. And if that other hunter accidentally bumps them or gets set up too close or uses a headlamp, gets too close to the roost, whatever, bumps them off the roost, guess where they're going? My direction. Nice you. Exactly.
0: I think that's a great point, and I also think it's a good time to mention that. And I said this, and the and I did a seminar for the Desert Christian Archers, and I'm talking to public land turkey hunters. In my opinion, if you're set up on birds, whether they be roosted or whether it be a run-and-gun situation set up and it's light, and you're on one side and all of a sudden you hear what you know is a human on the other side or any side, in my opinion, I stand up and say, Hunter, Hunter, Hunter over here, and I blow the whole deal. If, if it's a situation where the hunter is going to be getting into range of you or those turkeys and potentially you know if if he's calling from three quarters of a mile away or a half a mile that's one thing but at any given time on public ground if i feel like another hunter is getting within say a hundred yards of of the bird that i'm working i'm sorry i i'm either going to slip out go the opposite direction or i'm going to immediately identify myself which is going to blow the bird it's going to blow the whole thing yeah, the other hunters going to be, most of them will be upset with you. The reality is it's not worth having a misfire or a, a crossfire situation, having a hunter that doesn't realize that you're a hunter or doesn't care that you're a hunter. Yeah. I would rather blow the whole deal and find another bird later that day than to get shot. So I think it's important that you cannot call to other birds that other hunters are working You cannot work the same birds. Yes, you can call birds away from another hunter to you, but the second that you feel like that other hunter may be sneaking in on you, it makes me feel very awkward and very uneasy that I'm going to get shotgun pellets shot at that bird that's going to miss that bird and hit me that's sitting directly behind. So um, enough of that. Make sure that you guys do your best to, you know, cooperate with your fellow hunters, and communicate. Now, you're going to run across some hunters that you're doing your best to try and make the playing field equal. You're doing your best to be polite. You're being your best to be to be fair. You're doing your best to be safe, and the other hunter's not going to have it. You're going to be the jerk. You're going to be the guy that says, don't tell me where to go. yeah. yeah. And you just have to shake that up because some people, that's just the way they are. It, you, you try and say, hey, um, we're both parked in the same spot. I was parked here first. You know, what? Ber- where are you going? Well, I'm going right down this ridge. Well, sometimes it's best to say, you know, that's where I was going to go and I'm here first. And maybe they'll say, you know, well, tough. At that point, I'm as much as I want to, you know, punch them in the nose I'm probably just going to go get in my truck and say, you know, good luck to you. I hope you get them and go find another bird because it's not worth it. Yeah. it. It's really not worth having con- a confrontation with fellow hunters. And, you know, sometimes that might be the only bird they've heard gobble all season and emotions are high and you're going to end up getting a, you know, a scuffle over a turkey. It's just not worth it.
2: And, the, the only, and there was, I yeah, I agree with all that all that. I mean, it, if I think a, a hunter is just honest mistake or just it's you know with good intentions actually you know accidentally moves in on a bird that i'm working safety first sometimes i'll just get up back out but if if it's if this person is just a blatant jerk and knows darn well and he, he just wants to engage or he or she just wants to engage in combat hunting oh yeah they don't care about you they don't care about your safety they don't care about respecting your issue i will do the same thing i'll get up and i'll back out and i'll move out and i'll blow the whole setup. I'll I'll just blow the whole setup and then fine. Well, I'll come back tomorrow or whatever and I'll try to work it. But the other thing I was going to just real quick, Jay, before you move on, I was going to touch on, you know, when you're talking about doing stuff in the pitch black, I agree. I talk about that all the time. The other thing, too, is keep in mind, moonlight can be your friend or your enemy. Um, Because, again, if it's a bright, bright moon and you're trying to sneak in under that roost, again, if you can see relatively easily, they can too. So you just need to keep that in mind. Use the moonlight to your advantage and sometimes, but also be, be cautious because the moonlight
0: can screw you. I want to talk a little bit about, um, before I want to talk about in a minute, uh, what happens if you don't have any birds roosted? You know, what am I doing? Let's say you roll into your hunting area, you know, at, at, 10 o'clock at night you didn't have a chance to roost birds we're gonna get to that but first I want to talk about the two-man locator and before we ought to just take a break here before we talk about the two-man locator system have you guys heard about phone scope phone scope is a privately held company that makes custom molded precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters photographing wildlife has never been easier Take Digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. Phonescope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Phonescope is the future of Digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCott 16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at Phonescope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically-validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order. Okay, the two-man locator system can be deadly, and I'm sure, Chris, you've used it before um we use it a lot where my hunting partner whoever you know if i'm hunting with dar or my my nephews or my cousins or whoever um let's say that it's starting to get dark or let's say that it's you know it's it's in the evening and it's gray light and a bird's gobbling down off quite a ways and you can't pinpoint where that bird is a lot of times i will say give me a handful of minutes, you know, depending on the distance, you know, four or five minutes, give me 10 minutes and you stay here. I'm going to work my way, way down that ridge as fast as I can. And if the bird shuts up, give me five minutes. So, you know, maybe you synchronize your watches or whatever. And you say, give them a, you know, give them a locator call, And you would ask, well, why aren't I going down the ridge and calling to that bird? Because I don't want to be too close to that bird and call to him like we talked about before. So I'll leave a buddy way up the ridge. I'll haul butt down the ridge and get there. And then I'll try and, as I'm going, I'm listening for that bird to gobble. But let's say they haven't made a peep. Then I'm moving in pretty close to where I think the bird is. And then I'm just going to stop and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait there and then... Wait for my cue to my buddy to hit the locator call and, you know, coyote howl or whatever he, you know, whatever he decides to use an elk bugle and the bird, boom, gobbles. Well, a lot of times we have it set up where, you know, the, the, the we're going to do that location deal. We're going to do it a couple times. So then I'm going to move in a little bit closer if I have to. and I'm going to sit and wait for two or three, four minutes, whatever we've had designated. I'm going to wait. Boom, he's going to hit the call again. Boom, we got him roosted. I'm going to let it get totally black, you know, dark. I have it marked out. Boom, get back to the truck. And they will say, you know, how'd you do? The other thing you can do in states where it's legal, if you give a guy a radio, you can say, okay, I'm in position. You know, this is getting pretty technical turkey hunting, but it works great. If, if it's legal in your state, okay, go ahead and hit him with the call. You know, coyote howl, boom, the bird gobbles. Hey, I need to go another, you know, quarter mile, I need to go another three, four, five hundred yards, give me a second. Okay, so you cruise down the ridge, okay, call again, boom, he gobbles, you've got him pinpointed, okay, I'm coming back. That's an effective way to do it as well.
2: No, there's, yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's anything that I can add to that. Most of the time I'm just, I'm solo hunting, so I don't, I don't have anybody with me, but you're absolutely right. One of the things, you know, people forget to realize is that sometimes just by you being in close proximity, if they're educated birds and, you know, there's, you know, call shy, so to speak, you know, you getting close to them can actually make them shut up. They're a lot more likely to sound off if Someone is off in the distance. So that the the two person, you know, locations, that, you know, tactic like that is just it's awesome.
0: I want to cover before we end this, and I know we're covering a lot of ground and this is a long episode, but I I, I know it's important that <clears throat> a lot of times people ask, what do you do if you listen and you have no success roosting birds? You know, what will you do the next morning going out fresh? And let's say that, you know, you've been working or whatever. You didn't even have a chance to scout. Now, a lot of people are in this position. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. If I've never hunted the area before, I may cover country either on ground or cover country in my vehicle at prime time. I may not even hunt that first morning. I may be just driving and listening. Go another mile, turn the truck off, get out, coyote howl or blow an owl hooter or an elk bugle, whatever you use out here for Merriam's. I love the coyote howl. The the birds respond very, very well to a coyote. But to be clear, I'm going to drive down the road. I'm going to stop, turn the truck off. I'm going to let the truck settle. I'm going to step off the road. I'm going to you know, give it a couple minutes. I'm going to coyote howl. Most of the time, if you coyote howl, they'll answer while you're in mid-bark and you won't be able to hear it. So it's always nice if you have someone with you, have them listening also. And I may hear a bird and I may say, you know what, let's go down the road because all we're doing is scouting, trying to locate birds. This is also something you can do prior to the season when you're just trying to locate roosted birds. So you drive with your vehicle. You get out, you coyote howl, you say, okay, there's one on the left side, there's none on the right side, go down another mile, you know, or use half mile increments, mile increments depending on your country, and you're just shotgun calling, you're just driving around and either A, listening, or B, trying to uh, elicit a shock gobble uh, up in the tree, and you're basically marking, okay, there's three birds here. There's no birds, no birds, no birds. Okay, there's one bird here. And you're marking all that either on your map and or on your GPS. Um, uh, Let's see. Sometimes the birds gobble to the truck. So the first two or three seconds when I stop, it's very important. Like I'll I'll look up and I'll see a place that I need to pull the truck over. I'm going to have the windows down. Yeah, it's cold. I'll pull the truck and immediately shut the truck off and listen, because sometimes they'll shock gobble to your truck driving. So sometimes I'm going to listen for a little while right as I pull up. Then I'm going to quietly get out. If I don't hear anything, I'm going to let the truck settle. Boom. Then I'm going to go ahead and call, and and then I'm going to repeat that process. Chris? I agree. Um, Two, a couple things. One, you said
2: you're going to shut the vehicle off and then kind of, Walk away from the vehicle. Absolutely. There's so many times. I mean, literally, I had, I'm not exaggerating on this, and this is the sad part about it. I wish I had a video camera with me back then. Literally, a guy was going down the road doing exactly what we're talking about. Everything's fine, except for the fact that he pulls off, stops the vehicle, leaves the vehicle running, idling, gets out, sits on his bumper, and then calls with the vehicle running and wondered why he never got a response. Whereas I'm sitting, literally, uh, I was currently, or just before then, sitting a 100 yards down on one of the little finger ridges, and there was a bird right down below me going nuts. Well, okay, you got to be smart about it. Okay? Again, we always, I was talking about hunt smarter. Like Jay said, turn that vehicle off and listen quick, because they might gobble. But if if you want to go beyond that, walk away from the road. Walk away from the road. Get yourself off. Even if you have to go a couple hundred yards and then call. It makes a difference. Just like I talk about, or Jay and I talk about with the elk stuff, elk know where you are. They they know where you're calling from. Well, turkeys are no different. They can pinpoint your location very, very well. So if they, they know where that road is, they were just strutting on it earlier. Okay? So if you're calling from the road, they know you're calling from the road. Get yourself off A couple hundred yards, and sometimes it will make a world of difference on how much response you get from your efforts. Number one. Number two, if we're talking about prime, you know, what, you know, kind of the prime time during the season when, when the birds are rocking and rolling during the season, all of what we're talking about, whether we're talking about the morning or the evening, will give you a a bigger window Of opportunity to get these responses. However, if we are talking about pre-season, end of March, beginning of April, keep in mind, sometimes man, those birds are going to gobble once or twice off the roost. Say we're doing this in the evening. They might just gobble once or twice on the roost, and it's literally within a a five-minute window right before just pitch black I mean it you you might not have a huge window of when they're responsive. so you have to judge your cruising in a vehicle efforts accordingly. so if if they're not very vocal, they're not very fired up and you think they're and they're only sounding off once or twice after dark or once or twice on the roost in the morning and then as soon as their toenails hit the ground they shut up a lot of times I will ditch the vehicle and I will just go and use strategic points on the mountain for me to listen. But if they're fired up and it's season and I can run and gun like this then absolutely hit those roads and cover ground.
0: Chris, if you had to pick your number one locator call, what would it be? Who? That's tough
2: because it's I my Probably for me, it would be an owl hoot. And when I say an owl hoot, it's my modified modified version of an owl. I do it with my voice. And I just sound out just, I just, whoo, whoo I just as loud as I can and let that just echo across the, the mountains. That typically for me is is one that, that gets the most responses. I've had some places where the coyote howl works great, but I've had some other places where they will just flat shut up on an owl, uh, on a coyote because the coyote predation is so good, so bad. Uh, there's, And you mentioned elk bugle. That works well. It can. The other thing, too, is a lot of people don't realize, again, if we're talking about you have ponds or lakes or, you know, stuff like that in the mountains, you can have nesting pairs of Canada geese move in. Oh, my gosh. Bring a goose call. You start honking and, and carrying on with a goose call, you'd be amazed at how many times a bird sounds off to the sound of a goose. So, But for me, most of the time, it's just that owl hoot.
0: For me, out west, uh, Arizona, um, hunting Merriams. For me, uh, coyote howler is, in my opinion, the best locator call. But I would say that if a bird is in the tree, um, they're going to answer coyote howler most every time. But if you blow it within 150 yards of a bird, he he most of the time will not answer There you go that's
2: and that's a better that's a better qualification yeah
0: yeah and even during the day or even you know nine o'clock in the morning they will gobble to a coyote howler but you have to watch that you know you don't know what's you know within two three hundred yards of you and a lot of times they won't answer now will they answer out there across the ridge five or six hundred yards yeah but what did you just alienate that's you know within you know two hundred yards of you that you know uh you know, would have answered if you'd have blown a crow call yeah i know my friend uh casey uses a a raven yep i was he just actually, gonna say that Yep, actually blows a real obnoxious raven call and gets some unbelievable response with it yeah um, a crow call is good but to me in the dark uh coyote howler is 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 my number one call um, to get birds to gobble.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I'm I'm glad you brought the raven up because some people you know say, well, what about a crow call during the day? Yeah, sometimes they work great, if you, especially if you have got if you have crows in the area. But just keep in mind, in some of our intermountain areas, you might actually not have crows and just really have ravens. And so, I don't want to say match the hatch with with your locator calls, but kind of you do. You you got to kind of go with what is locally available that the birds are used to gobbling too.
0: Absolutely. Chris, that's been awesome. We covered a lot of ground here on Roosting Turkey's uh, Western style. And I uh, want to thank you, want to give you a chance to tell the listeners how they can find you. Yeah, you bet. Like we talked about on the YouTube stuff, you know, all of my stuff is just
2: rowhuntingresources.com. You know, that's, that's R-O-E, right? That's correct. Yeah. R-O-E Hunting resourcescom is our website. Uh, we've got a subscription-based educational site there and we've got a turkey module that some of this stuff is it's more geared toward Rio Grande turkeys and and learning river bottom stuff but there's a pile of information on the turkey stuff but um YouTube channel row hunting resources Instagram Facebook we're and Twitter we're I'm all on that you can look up that too as well but for anybody here that does if if you guys want to see some of the stuff that I do or if you want to subscribe you know, if you get in and you, you get to the subscription page and it says, you know, promo code, if you guys put in a, a J Scott podcast, all one word, doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter if there's caps or not, but just J Scott, J. Scott podcast in the promo code, it'll take 20% off and, and support you guys that way. So.
0: Awesome, buddy. I really appreciate, uh, you coming on and talking about roosting turkeys. So we've covered scouting and we've covered, uh, roosting strategies and how to roost turkeys. Uh, And uh, we have also, um, we we are going to be doing uh, setup tactics and some calling and decoys. So uh, great comprehensive stuff here. Appreciate your time as always. Absolutely.
2: No, it's always a blast. So I appreciate
0: it. Thank you.